You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. All right, well, friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer, and I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start a new series today called Not For Me. Because really there's two ways you can live your life. You can live your life for yourself, for your needs, ambitions, goals, according to your timetable and calendar, and and it's all about you. Or you can live your life not for you, you can live your life for others. And so this series, we're going to explore what it looks like to to transform from where we live from ourselves to where we live um, not for us and live for others. And and we're going to unpack what the life of Jesus has to teach us about this. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Mark 1. And we're going to jump into this this morning because we are going to cover just a ton of ground. And uh, so Mark 1, I want to paint a picture for us of what a what a not for me kind of life looks like and, and what it looks like for us to begin to implement some of the things we see in Jesus. So, so Mark 1, it's a story of Jesus. Here's how it goes. <clears throat> Verse 29, it says, as soon as they, they here is Jesus and a few of his disciples. Jesus doesn't yet have all 12. He's just collecting, beginning to to bring people together. So as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of uh, Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter, otherwise known as Peter. So James and John are brothers. Peter and Andrew are brothers. You may not have known that. Verse 30. Uh, Simon, that is again Peter, Simon's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever. Did you know that Peter was married? I don't have any point with that, just thought it was interesting. So Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Now in the next verse, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus does. So here we go, three things. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. He went with her. He took her hand. He helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So I just want you to notice, what does Jesus do when he is confronted with a need? He does what he can. That's what he does. He does whatever is in his ability to do. He goes to this person. He helps her up. He, he heals her. He, he uses his resources, his time. He, he doesn't put it aside. He does what he can to, to help um, his mother-in-law here, to help her. So verse 32, it says, That evening after sunset... The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town, it says, the whole town gathered at the door. I don't know how big this town is, but everyone's gathered at the door. Simon Peter's mother-in-law has been on Facebook. Everyone has heard the story. The whole town is there. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus, okay, what is he going to do when people are there who have need? Jesus healed many who had various diseases He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, put your finger there. We're just going to pause for a second. We're going to pick up right where we left off in just a moment. But I want us to to let this set in and pause for just a second as we think about what it is that Jesus is doing here. Because what we see Jesus doing is incredibly inspiring. I mean, Jesus is one of these people. he He is inspiring to people who believe and don't believe. I mean, people who who are not Christians are still drawn to Jesus because of the kinds of things we read right here, because Jesus is one of those kinds of people who doesn't live for himself. He lives for others. He uses his resources, his time, his ability for other people. This is the way he lives. It's not for him. And so even people who are who are skeptical and, and don't believe and aren't Christians and don't believe in the miraculous, maybe don't believe that Jesus could actually heal somebody and don't believe that he's the son of God, they still see the type of life he lived and are drawn to him because he's an inspiring person. 
He's inspiring because he, he doesn't just live for himself. So let's ask a really obvious question with that, though. Jesus is inspiring, but why is Jesus inspiring? Like, what is it about him that is so inspiring? Like, why is it that his kind of not-for-me kind of way of living is so inspiring? And, and, I, and I think the short answer is just simply because, like, we're not that way. I mean, I, I, I don't live like that nearly as much as I wish I did. I, I routinely see somebody in need and first ask questions like, how long is this going to take? What's this going to cost me or 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 how long will, or how much effort, or do I really, or is there somebody else who can help? And I, and I routinely think about the effort and the energy that's going to take to help someone else when I find someone in need. And I, I would imagine that there's some other people like that. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Here's a better way to put that. Is there somebody you're sitting next to who's maybe a little bit like that? Like, we're all like this. This is human nature, that, that we're drawn to think about ourselves before we're drawn to think about others. And then we see Jesus, and we see how he is first and foremost thinking about other people and what he can do to help other people and what he can do to, to alleviate suffering and how he can serve the poor and how he can, he can help the sick and the hurting. He can do what he has, whatever he has, in order to help. This is the way he lives, and it is inspiring and so another question would begin to surface, well, well, how is it that Jesus like, does this and lives like this and has this mentality? And so let's keep reading right where we left off. I'm not skipping ahead. This is like the very next verse, the very next verse. This is what we read. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and then I want you to say the next three words with me. Ready? Where he prayed. Where he prayed. Now just hold on to that. Let's keep reading. Simon, again Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. Let's go help other people, he says. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I find it fascinating that as Mark is telling us this way of Jesus, how he was helping other people and serving other people, that they take this story of, of this healing of, of the mother-in-law and this whole town, and, and he lays it side by side with this story of how Jesus wakes early in order to go pray. Like these two stories are, are just laid side by side as, as if they belong together. Like there's a connection here between the, the mindset that Jesus had to help other people, to serve other people, and this, and this activity that he developed in his life of, of deep prayer. And of course, this is not the only place in the New Testament where you see Jesus doing things like this. For instance, there's a very famous story where Jesus is preaching and teaching all day long to thousands of people. 5,000 is the number the Bible gives us who have gathered on a hillside to hear Jesus preach. And at the end of his, his teaching and speaking, he tells his disciples that they should provide dinner for them. They don't send everyone home hungry. And they, of course, can't do it. They don't know what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus finds a, a boy with a few fish and some, some loaves of bread. And he multiplies it and he feeds the 5,000, one of Jesus' greatest, most famous miracles. You know this miracle, feeding the 5,000. Well, do you know how that story ends? The last line of that story, Mark 6, verse 46, is this. After leaving them, it says, uh, he went up on a mountainside to pray. 
Again, side by side. Here's this miraculous thing that Jesus does for other people with this connection to how he spends his time prayer. Another example of this, Luke chapter 5, Jesus is healing a leper who is, you know, a skin disease and it's a contagious uh, terminal disease that, that uh, has pushed this person into being an outsider and, and has, no longer has human connection and, and this person is, is living away and Jesus comes to him and he heals him, which is a risky thing just for Jesus to do because he could catch this contagious disease and, and he heals this person and right after he heals this person in Luke chapter 5, this is what we read right after that healing. It's Luke chapter 5 verse 15. There we go. All right. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But listen, but Jesus, it says, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Once again, see the connection, this miraculous thing he does for other people. It's, it's tied to his life of prayer. And the most significant example that you could look to in the New Testament happens at the very end of Jesus' life where he is about to be sacrificed and give his life for us and as he gathers in the garden the night of his betrayal, the night of his arrest in the garden of Gethsemane, this is what we read in Matthew 26. Matthew 26 tells us that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Like before he gives his life for the sake of the world, he spends time in prayer. There is this constant connection that you see in the New Testament between the way Jesus lived, how he gave of himself for other people, and how he also invested deeply in this practice of prayer. And sometimes we may think of those things as opposite, or, or maybe they don't, they, don't, uh, they don't belong together because prayer is like this inward thing that we do, and, and serving other people is outward. But really what we see in Jesus is that these two things are tied closely together, that Jesus and prayer and serving people, they all work together. There is a connection that you can draw on. And of course now, when I read about Jesus and I notice this connection, my mind goes to thinking about, well, if, if Jesus does this, in order to serve other people, what does that say about my need to develop a life of prayer to serve other people as well? How, how would prayer, a life of prayer, develop me into becoming a person who also serves and doesn't just live for himself? And so this connection between prayer and serving other people, it is something that Christians have long noticed that the way you become a person who serves other people and doesn't just live for yourself is through practices like prayer. One of my heroes, I shared this a few weeks ago with you, is a German pastor named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany in the 1930s, and uh, during that time, the 1930s, I think Germany, 1930s, this church was controlled by the Nazis, by the state, as a, basically a propaganda machine. And so the, the Nazis would tell the pastors what they had to preach and to support the state, and Bonhoeffer, along with some others, uh, resisted this, and they fought this, and, and eventually Bonhoeffer would be arrested because of this work of resisting the state. He would be executed in a, in a camp just a few days before liberation uh, by the Allies, and, and it's, just, it's an incredibly tragic story of, of Bonhoeffer. But one of the things he was doing to resist the evil of his time was that he was starting underground churches. Like these are, would be churches that would be under the radar from, from the state. It would be illegal because they weren't preaching the prescribed message that the state told them to preach. And, and, and part of this, one of the things he did as well was he started an, an illegal underground seminary to train pastors to go and do this work. And so one of his letters he writes, he, he writes to another theologian, I want to read to you in just a moment, a part of a letter he wrote, because in this letter he writes about the questions that his theologians are asking, these seminary students are asking, who are about to be sent into the world to go start illegal underground churches. So just think about this for a second. If you were being sent out to go start an illegal church, what kind of question would you be thinking through in your own head and be asking your teachers? 
Probably be questions about like martyrdom because some of them are going to be killed. Might be questions about uh, God's will. How does God allow evil to happen in the world when, when and God doesn't intervene? Maybe it's questions about miracles of, of, of how this is, you know, maybe God's going to provide miraculous for us because it's such a terrible situation. But maybe those are the questions. But here's the questions he offered to this other theologian writing about his young seminarians. I think, just, just catch this, so interesting. Just part of the letter he writes, he writes this. He says, the kind of questions serious young theologians put to us are, how can I learn to pray? How can I learn to read the Bible? And then he says, either we can teach them all to do this or we can't help them at all. So this man who's raising up students to go and to serve and to give of themselves in an incredibly sacrificial life, he says this, if we can't teach them to pray, it doesn't matter what else we teach them. If we can't teach them to invest in the Bible, it doesn't matter what else we teach them. Like these are the basic things that if you don't do these things, you're not gonna be effective when whatever else you are sent out to do because there is a connection here. That our, our life of prayer, it is directly related to how we live in the world. It's directly related to how we develop and become people who don't just live for us. The, the practice of prayer, it is a fundamental, foundational thing that God is going to use to transform us from thinking primarily about us to thinking primarily about what does God want to do through us. It's a foundational kind of thing. So this morning, what we're gonna do is I, I wanna, we're gonna talk about prayer and, and how we implement this in our lives. And, and my fear is that when you do a sermon on prayer, you walk away like this. Oh, I gotta pray more. And like that's the worst takeaway from a sermon on prayer. So my hope today is that you don't walk away like, oh, I gotta pray more. Like, I don't, I don't wanna do that. That's not helpful for anybody. Guilt is not a helpful way to like, motivate anybody to do anything. And so, so that's not the approach that we wanna take. Instead, what we wanna do, what I wanna do, and we're gonna do in every message in the series is we're gonna look at the life of Jesus like we just did and see the kinds of things that he paid attention to in order to do the kinds of things he did. So we prayed, that's one of the things he did. And then what I wanna do is I just wanna look really practical at this just really practical and unpack this on a really basic level. We're not gonna dive in the deep end here, but just on a practical level, what, how do we think about this and practice this in our lives? And so I wanna start this off, this practical, we're gonna get very, very, very practical here. I wanna start this off with a basic question. And so just, I want you to, this is for you, it's not for your neighbor, it's not for anyone else, this is just for you. You answer it in your own words, not out loud, of course, but just answer it for yourself. Here's the basic question. How would you describe your prayer life? How would you describe your prayer life? Some of you might be like, it's awesome. I'm really, really good at prayer. If there's anything I'm good at, it's praying. There might be like, well, no one's probably gonna say that. And if you do, you need to repent of pride. But there's probably like, some of us are probably pretty confident in our prayer life. But I'm gonna go out on a limb. Actually, it's not much on a limb. I'm just, it's just kind of reality. Most of us, if we were to answer this question, how would you describe your prayer life? Most of us are gonna say like, words like, uh, I don't know, ineffective, maybe boring. Maybe we might use words like occasional or when needed, maybe how we would describe our prayer life. Maybe some of us would describe our prayer life as if we're just talking to the ceiling and we don't get much out of it and so therefore we don't pray that often. Like prayer is not one of those things that I've run across very many Christians who are just like, I feel great about my prayer life. 
And so this morning, again, I want to get practical. I don't want anyone to walk out of here with this like, oh, i got to pray more. This is the point of the sermon. The preacher made me feel guilty. That is not my goal today. Instead, what I, what I want to offer you are some really practical, uh, just some practical teaching, practical tips on if you struggle with your prayer life, what are some things you can do to, to kickstart this and to jumpstart this in your life. And so there will be about a thousand people who hear this message and I'm a pastor first and foremost and I would like to sit down with like every person and just talk to them personally about their prayer life and how to, how to kickstart this if that's something they want. And so we started, I started thinking about this message series and I was like, man, I just wanna go to coffee with people and sit down with them and what would be the kinds of things I would share with them if we just sat down over coffee to talk about these, these very important things that God is gonna to use to transform their lives. And so I was thinking, if you and I sat down for a cup of coffee, like what would be the kinds of things we would talk about. I'd, I'd offer you just some, some advice to, to share with you if this is something you wanted to invest in and grow in. So here's, here's some like, we're going out to coffee um, kind of things I would share with you if we were to have a conversation with this. If you're somebody who, who would say that your prayer life is less than stellar, here's some practical things that you could implement in your life to begin to grow in this area. That's where we're going. So first of all, what I would offer you as we sat down for coffee, I would offer you to think about prayer methods. Prayer methods. These are things that lots and lots and lots of people have used, prayer methods. And so there's a few very famous prayer methods. One of the most famous prayer methods would be the ACTS prayer. A-C-T-S, all capitalized because they all stand for something. Very, very famous. You can go on Google. Don't do it right now. But you can go on Google and, uh, and search all kinds of resources about this. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That's what it means. And basically what you do is if you're struggling to pray, just pray in those categories for a little while. You praise God, you adore him, you confess your sin, you give thanksgiving, you pray for other people kind of thing. You, you can do that. You can find all kinds of resources around that, so I won't spend much time on there. One of the things I personally do when my prayer life gets stale, I pray the Lord's Prayer. And when I say I pray the Lord's Prayer, I don't mean that I say like the words of the Lord's Prayer, like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Instead, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the phrases of the Lord's Prayer and I'm just gonna rephrase them in my own words. So when I say, give us this day our daily bread, it's a line from the Lord's Prayer. I have lots of bread in my pantry. I don't need more bread. But there are other things that I need God to do for me that day. And so I'm going to be thinking, what are the things I need God to do for me that day? This is a method, by the way, that Martin Luther taught way back in the 1500s, just to recast the Lord's Prayer in your own words. I do the same thing if I'm, if I'm struggling in my prayer life. I'll, I'll take uh, verses from the Bible. And uh, when I don't have words to say, I'll turn to a letter of Paul or maybe the Psalms, and I'll just kind of reword them so that they're in the first person or they're just words. I mean, if I'm praying, I've always thought if I'm praying the Scripture, I know I'm praying God's will. And so I just, I'll use the words of the Scripture to pray over things or pray over my own life or whatever it is I, I'm feeling if I'm, if I'm feeling a little stale. Now, if we're sitting down for coffee and we're talking about this, I would also offer you this, though, when it comes to prayer methods. Two thoughts when it comes to prayer methods. First, um, I would say to you, then when it comes to prayer methods, you gotta find out what works for you. I have lots of pastor friends who pray written prayers. Like they've got books on written prayers that they look at. And uh, I've bought them because people, my friends will talk to me about these, these books that they have, written prayers. And I've bought books before and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do what they do. And I start to use these written prayers out of books and I, I hate it. Like I get nothing out of it. And so those books have gone back on the bookshelf and like, I'm not gonna use those because that doesn't work for me. When it comes to prayer methods, you gotta find out what works for you. And if something doesn't work for you, you set it aside. You set it aside. And, and ultimately, when it comes to a prayer method, 
you just use these things as jump starters. These are not things that if you, if you don't move past them, these are things that are going to turn very stagnant very quickly, and you're never going to grow past that. And so like the Acts prayer or praying the Lord's prayer is great for a season. But if that's as far as you develop, then you're going to not have the sticking power to stay with it. And, and your prayer life is going to suffer again. It's going to be like how in January, some of us are going to go buy gym memberships and use them until January 15th and then pay for them the rest of the year. That's, that's what it's like if you, if you don't move past one of these prayers. They're, they're good. They're just they're not going to ultimately grow you deeply. They're just jump starters to help you get going, and I'd offer you that. But really, if we were to sit down over coffee and we're talking about prayer, I would offer you some, some deeper thoughts, and really two deeper thoughts, and these are not silver bullets, and these are not going to give you lots of good words to pray for hours on end. You're not going to all of a sudden feel really, really holy with these two thoughts. They're just two things I think the Bible teaches when it comes to prayer that are difficult to implement, but ultimately will grow you much, much more deeply than something like the Acts prayer method will. And the first thing I'd say is this, when it comes to prayer, you have to learn how to pray authentically. You have to learn how to pray authentically. This is what Jesus said, this is Matthew 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. I want you to catch how Jesus is making prayer about you. Have you ever heard someone who's really good at prayer? And then you're like, wow, I am terrible. That person is so good at prayer, and I am terrible. I can't believe how good at prayer they are, because I just can't pray like that at all. And you know what? You can't, and you don't. And you know why you don't? because you're, that's not you. When it comes to prayer, you pray to the Lord. You develop a relationship with God. This is about you. And so sometimes we have this like little voice in the back of our head that tells us we're not good at prayer or we're not as good as so-and-so at prayer. And we don't know how to pray. And so when it comes to like praying out loud at like a small group or Sunday school or something, like we're always really intimidated because we don't want to do it because we don't think we're very good at it. But, but you know who doesn't think that about you? God. God never hears your prayers and is like, whew, what was that? <laughs> Whatever that was, that was awkward. I sure, when is this gonna be over? That, the Lord has never once heard you pray and is just thinking that. The Lord is taking delight because you are seeking after him. This is relationship building. Even if you feel like you're bad at it, that's okay. Pray about being bad at it. It's perfectly fine. Like you've got to develop authenticity with these things, with, with prayer. What is it that's really on your heart and really on your mind? Pray those words. Don't try to pray like someone else. And that little voice that whispers to you that you're not good at prayer because you're not as good as so-and-so, by the way, that's not the Lord's voice. God doesn't condemn you like that, and he never plays the comparison game. If any time you find you, this is just an aside, another sermon, but anytime you find yourself comparing yourself to someone else, that is not the Lord's voice over you. So first of all, I'd say this, pray authentically. And the second thing, this is so important, if you wanna learn how to pray, you've gotta pray with perseverance. Jesus said this, Luke 18. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying this, don't give up. When it feels like you're talking to the ceiling, don't give up. When it feels like you're getting nothing out of it, don't give up. Keep showing up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because as you persevere through good times and bad times, through feeling like you're good at this and bad at this, as you persevere through this, the Lord is going to use your prayer life to transform you and to change you. Because there is a direct line that we can draw from the quality and the depth and the passion of our prayer life to the transforming power of God, for the way that God is going to use our prayer life to change us and to grow us to becoming people who see the world and do the work of God that he wants us to do in the world. Don't give up. When it's hard, don't give up. When it's easy, don't give up. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. You see, spiritual growth, it doesn't happen on accident. It happens when we are purposeful. It happens when we lean into this, and it happens when we never give up. The Lord wants to use your prayer life to change you, to transform you, to becoming a person who doesn't live for yourself. You might think that prayer is for someone else. It's for holy people, religious people, spiritual people, and it's not for you, but I'm telling you this. Prayer is for you because God wants to use this part of your life to change you and grow you, to transform you, to become a person who does his work. Let's pray together. So, Father, I thank you that you want relationship from us. You want to know us. You want us to know you. You want us to share our hearts with you. You want to share your heart with us. You want to grow us into becoming the people that don't just live for ourselves, but live for a bigger purpose. And so, first of all, Lord, we confess that oftentimes we neglect to develop our relationship with you. We put this aside for when we're less busy. We put this aside for when we're less stressed out. We put this aside for when we're less distracted and And in reality, those are the very times where you're calling us to to pursue you. And so, Lord, this week, today, would you inspire us and motivate us and call us to something deeper than what we've been living in, to grow in this life of prayer that's lived in you, that we might be people who don't live for ourselves, but we live for your purpose over us because this is one of the ways that you want to grow us and change us and transform us. So God, would you inspire us? Would you speak into our hearts this morning about specific, maybe practices that we can engage in and commit again to being the kind of people who seek your face, to seek you first in their lives. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray together. Amen. My first recollection of really reaching out to God in prayer was like as an elementary student when I was having a really rough time with the situation mm-hmm. and I can I can see myself still laying in my bed in my bedroom that night crying out to God to, to help me yeah. and to be with me and I always consider that to be my first real dialogue with God. Yeah. I'm, I'm really into prayer with our Sunday school class. I. Um, I teach in the kindergarten Sunday school class here, and uh, we've had a couple already in our little group of six or seven 
uh, just pipe up there and, and lift up their prayers and concerns. It, it's scary for kiddos. Yeah. It's scary for adults. What right. am I saying? It's scary for everyone. Um, but by the end of uh, our kiddos that went on into first grade, um, you know, half of our class were out loud prayers mm -hmm. by the end of our time together. And I think that is so important to them. There's some type of pressure for praying out loud, right? Um, and yet, it's important. I love hearing people pray. I do too. Um, and I think it, it just gives, it gives me insight into how other people relate to God. What would you say to someone who feels it's important to pray out loud and yet is feeling timid about that process? Inquire when we have um, you know, people kind of volunteer to pray. I contact them and schedule people to pray after rehearsal. And, um, and, and these are people who are fabulous, dynamic people, and they will respond, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting nervous about my week that's coming up, and I'll be like, you know, um, don't feel like you have to have some big elaborate thing that's gonna impress people. You know, we're not here to impress anybody. We're here just to communicate with God and, and help others communicate with God. Just be yourself. That's all that God wants from us. He just wants us to be ourselves and share what we have to share, whether it's through music or prayer, or whether it's silent or aloud, um, whether it's through study or leadership. You know, He just wants us to give what, what He's blessed us with. That's yeah. all the prayer is, just giving that. 